Welcome to The Rock's Podcast. If you like stories with happy endings, you'll love the book of Ruth. Four quick chapters that beautifully illustrate how God can take the hopeless and helpless and exalt them to a place of incredible honor. Ruth's story is our story. Now let's join Pastor Ross with our verse-by-verse study through this remarkable book. All right, everybody, all right. Well, what a happy congregation. It tied me up there, chatting away in the lobby. But we are in the middle of a delightful story. We are in the very midst of it. Chapter 3 of Ruth, why don't you head that direction? And we will go to the Lord for a word of prayer. Now, Heavenly Father, in the middle of this story, yet again, are we going to learn through somebody else's mistake through somebody else's bad advice. Lord, and there's so much to learn that way. And help us to see the good qualities that are here that we should emulate, put into practice, and help us to see the bad qualities that that don't bring blessing at all that we need to avoid. Help us, Lord, to learn and grow. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Do you remember when you were a kid, like back in middle school, let's say fifth grade, sixth grade, whatever, and you felt that little flutter in your heart for the first time when you saw a cute boy or a cute girl got your attention, and as friend Owl and Bambi put it, you got Twitterpated, you know, (laughs) and uh, as friend Owl put it, I Googled this so I know he really said this. He says uh, to uh, Bambi and Bambi's friends, uh, see this, these two birds doing this fluttery dance entangled and all kind of, you know, in a fuss. And they look at each other bewildered and said, what was that all about? So friend Owl says, hey, well, yes, nearly everyone gets Twitter pated in the springtime. For example, you're walking along, minding your own business. You're looking neither to the left nor to the right when all of a sudden you run smack into a pretty face, right? And that's exactly what we have going on here in the book of Ruth. God providentially has allowed a man named Boaz and a young woman named Ruth to run face first into each other, and indeed, she has a pretty face, and he is a distinguished uh, uh, Israelite um, with great influence and great wealth, and so a little of the background, as some of you haven't been here, we are in the middle of a story where that really the theme is about how a girl can go from, or how a person can go from the wrong side of the tracks which in this case would be the wrong side of the Jordan and be from Moab. Moab was a place of God's enemies. How you could go from being hopeless without God, without any covenant, without God and without hope in this world into the promised land, into a place of reconciliation with God and love and all that wealth that heaven affords. And and this young woman from the wrong side of the tracks has had a conversion experience. She's not a Moabitess at all, really. Uh, she's really kind of a, a, a new believer in the Lord. And Boaz, this wealthy, distinguished gentleman who they run into each other in that field, happens to own the field and half of Bethlehem. And, and uh, he can save the day. And he's called the kinsman redeemer. He's the Prince Charming in the story. But the problem is they've met and they're definitely Twitterpated with one another. I mean, we can see that. The problem is, is that there's a, a hesitation. It's, not an un, it's an unconventional relationship. They're the odd couple if ever there was an odd couple. There's a lot of hurdles 
to overcome. And so at the end of chapter two, they've met and there's some real signs of hope. He's taken a liking to her and she's come home with a whole bunch of uh, barley grain and she sat at his table and he's taken interest. And Naomi is connected to Ruth. They're both widows. Naomi uh, was married to her father-in-law, Ruth's father-in-law, and so both the son-in-law, the son died and the husband died, leaving these two helpless widows there in the promised land. Well, will Boaz fall in love with this girl? Will he rescue the damsel in distress? Will Ruth go from rags to riches or from grief to joy? And including Naomi, the mother-in-law, because she's in the same kind of situation, but we don't know. You know, we don't know about is the feeling that was really mutual. Nobody said anything. They're both kind of holding back. The reader's like, I think they're falling in love, but nobody said anything, and that's dangerous not to know. We all need to know, and that's going to prompt chapter three. We're going to find out. We've got to move this thing forward, somebody's thinking. You know, I mean, back when you were 10 or 12, it was easy. Here's what you did. You wanted to know if the feelings were mutual, you write a note. And, here, and here's what the note would say. I like you, do you like me? <laughs> Circle yes or no. <laughs> and you're all laughing because you did it. And then you folded it into 214 pieces, or times, I should say. And then you just kind of plopped it somewhere where he or she would find it. And for me... They never found it. I mean, it was like, I would be like, what's that over there? And it's like a piece of crumbled up paper. Like, well, maybe there's something in that piece of crumbled paper. Oh, yeah. I'm glad it didn't work because, you know, you know. But, you know, guys need to know. Guys need to know even when we get older. And so a quick little story in my introduction, if you will. Um, guys need to know, what, she, what does she think? Does she like me or not? A couple that we know. Um, they were on our first few dates, you know, whatever. It was still in the wondering stages. It was like there was no note yet. You know, I like you. Do you like me? Circle one. But there was a necessary information was lacking there. Well, they took an exit ramp, and it was here in Santa Rosa. And the guy took it a little tight, and it caused her, she was already a little close, but it caused her to be awkwardly close and violating airspace, right? <laughs> and so the face came in, and she went to look at the guy, right? And... In the turn, well, she just gave him a little sweet, affectionate peck on the cheek. And the way the guy tells it is like fireworks. It's like, finally, she likes me. She likes me. And so then when I started doing, oh, whoops. <laughs> then what the guy in the story started doing. <laughs> Listen, there'll be no surprises in heaven because I spilled the beans here. <laughs> so what the guy was trying to do after that was take really tight turns. <laughs> and the reason I thought about that was yesterday we were going around the ramp and I just started doing it and she wasn't getting, catching on, almost causing an accident. And I'm like, hello, remember the first few dates? Come on, you know, so... Uh, I don't recommend that's the way you prompt, you know. So. Okay, one last thing, it, uh, and which is so true of chapter three and what's really fueling one of our characters to, to make this thing known is when you don't know, oh, a disaster, all of those videos that go viral of catching the girl um, by surprise, and so the guy thinks he knows. And so he gets down on one knee and everybody's got a camera and they're surprising her. But little did he know that the answer wasn't going to be yes. The answer was going to be no. And now the whole thing's going to go over the internet and everybody's going to know it's terrible. So, you know, listen, Naomi in the story, the mother-in-law, 
who's at home waiting for this to happen already, right? She's not going to be in that situation. She wants to know what's going on. How does he feel? Is he, is he going to marry you and save the day or not? What you guys, and here's the deal. It's the last day of the harvest. So it's either it's going to happen today in Naomi's mind. This is the last day you're going to be in the field. Did he say anything? Did he say anything yesterday? Did you say anything? Well, no, Mom, we're not talking like that. Well, why aren't you? The clock is ticking. Listen, I'm going to come up with a plan. I know what to do. Chapter 3, verse 1. One day, Naomi, her mother-in-law, said to her, my daughter, I got a plan. Should I not try to find a home for you where you will be well provided for? Isn't Boaz, with, whom the, with whose servant girls you've been with there, gleaning, a kinsman of ours? Tonight, he'll be winnowing barley on the threshing floor. Verse 3. Wash and perfume yourself and put on your best clothes. Then go down to the threshing floor, but don't let him know you're there until he's finished eating and drinking. When he lies down, note the place where he's lying. Then go and uncover his feet and lie down. He'll tell you what to do. And then she says, I will do whatever you say. Ruth gulped in an answer. Because that's what I imagine her reaction being. And so here we go. This message is brought to you by the letter P. There's going to be plenty of them. All right. And the first one is a provocative plan. And indeed, it is some really shady advice. (laughs) This woman is capital D desperate. She's tired of waiting. She is tired of no news. She is tired of sitting around and watching the, the spinning wheel of death, right? You know on, on your computer when, when things are, uh, the computer's thinking, but nothing's happening, right? Well, there's a force quit uh, here, right, available, and, and Naomi's going to force quit. She's going to make this happen. We're going to out him tonight, and here's the plan. And it's provocative, it's a plan, and it's not a good one. It is not holy, it is not safe for her, it is not wise, Um, it is not good, but it is the result of living 10 years out of fellowship with God's people. Uh, When you, and she has, she's been in the unpromised land of Moab, right, for 10 years. That means no festive holidays, no congregations. No teaching of the word, no sitting under the word of God as her fellow Israelites would be doing. No no believing friends, none of that. And so when you live in Moab and you don't have constant infill, then what happens is Moab gets a hold of your heart. And instead of being renewed in your mind by the word of God and by the presence of the Lord, you let the world squeeze you into its mold Romans chapter 12 and verse 2, where it says, don't do that. You'll be sorry. But she does that. Now, I will say this about Naomi. Things are looking up. She loves her daughter-in-law. She has had a struggle with bitterness, you know. And yeah, you know, somebody said, wow, we've been hard on Naomi. I've never really learned or seen some of these examples from her life. Now she blames God for all of her troubles and she tries to dissuade the girls from leaving Moab and their gods to coming to a new life in the promised land three times. Says, why would you want to come with me? And so she's been in a kind of a dark place, right? And so from that dark place, this is wisdom that just comes from Moab, and I'm going to explain this to you. Now, somebody was surprised about uh, seeing uh, Naomi painted in such a, a sort of an unforgiving, ugly light at times, right? Um, but you know what? Listen to me. The Bible includes characters that are human beings who are broken in ways just as you and I are broken. 
just as sinful, just as vulnerable. And even the most venerated Bible heroes are shown for the good, the bad, and the ugly, the warts and all. It is not a service to God's people to tap dance around and romanticize characters that have obvious flaws because how would we ever learn from the flaw if we're too busy denying that it even exists because it's Naomi, right? Well, then you may repeat some of her bitterness and blaming God for all your troubles because you're not willing to see, wow, that wasn't right. It's not saying that she's not a believer. But sin persists in the hearts of believers. And we have to see it for what it is and not kind of uh, whitewash it away. And so that's what we're going to take a look at. Listen, one writer said, well, it's nice to see Naomi thinking about others. Because she says, my daughter, you know, I didn't tell you to go looking for the food in the first place. I've been too wrapped up in myself. But it's time for me to do something for you. So uh, isn't it right for a mother to provide, you know, and kind of get involved and help you have a happy home? By the way, the word there for home is the word rest in Hebrew. It's everything God thinks a home should be, security and rest. And she says, that's what I want to do for you. Not just so you come home every day with a little grain and gifts, but we need to kind of make this permanent, right? And so I've got a way to do that. And sadly, as the writer went on to say, her intentions are good. Her love is genuine. Her advice, though, is foolish and worldly. This is not the godly counsel of a believing parent. And I'll make my case for that for sure. Listen, one writer put it this way. You can take a girl or anyone out, a child of God, out of Moab. But you, it's a whole other thing to get Moab completely out of the child of God once you've been there, right? And so this, my friends, sorry to say, somebody we love. We love Naomi. She's part of the covenant. And she loves her daughter-in-law, and she has good intentions, But she has some brokenness, and we need to look at it instead of tap dancing. And her brokenness manifests big time in the advice she gives to her very godly new convert, fragile in her faith, um, daughter-in-law. So we're going to take a look at that now. Now, that's what she wants, you know. She wants to help. Now, there's a reason for why the two lovebirds haven't kind of declared things outright. Let me just remind you really fast. Uh, for Boaz, he's unsure, right? Definitely finds her attractive, and his heart goes out to her, right? But he's a little older than she is, and uh, he's thinking there are younger, more attractive guys that uh, she might be interested in. And is the fact that he's not the most attractive Hebrew in the house of bread, that's Bethlehem, right? Is that why he's uh, available? So he's thinking, you know, just because, listen, just because I have the right, he knows he's a kinsman redeemer. And he knows he can just say, hey, look, you're my property. It's, It's in the law. I can marry you. He's not going, he's the perfect, he's a man of valor, That's what he's described. That means character. He's a God-fearing man. And he cares about her. So he's not going to force himself by saying, technically, there's a rule right here. I can turn to you right here in Leviticus and show you my responsibility to marry you. Right? But he's hesitant because maybe she doesn't want to be married. Maybe she doesn't want to extend the line. She doesn't have to. So there's questions. That's why Naomi can't get the answer. Because he doesn't know. He's like, you know, I can, I could, but what about her? Because love cares about the other person. So ladies, when the guy is pressuring you to be immoral, to get what he wants, he does not love you. Because love will put your needs first and what's best for you. And he will die to himself if that thing he's requesting is out of God's will for your life or harmful to you 
and your interest. And that's the kind of guy he is. He's like, I'm not ready to commit. I don't know. I don't know if I asked her. You know, she might say yes just because she needs the money. So he's stuck and for her, uh, on her side, she's unsure because is he going to risk his reputation? Yeah. Am I going to just go up to him and say, hey, it's your job. You're a kinsman redeemer. You've got to marry the Moabitess. Or marrying a Moabitess, even though she's not really a Moabitess in her heart, that would be very socially awkward for him, a Jewish man of influence. I mean, not only is she a Gentile, which wasn't kosher to do, she's from the, a long line of terrorists. Moab was known for hating Israel, hating God, and God and Moab had their own little battles going. God speaks through the prophets to Moab and not in friendly terms. So she's thinking, yeah, I know he's the one, and yeah, I, I find him charming, and I wish it could happen. But you know what? Maybe he doesn't want to be married to me. So, of course, Naomi's pressuring, pressuring, pressuring. And she's trying to say, Mom, it's complicated. Yes, I think, but no, I don't. No, no. Right? So she's like, oh, that, I'm done with this. I am done. And here's her plan. Born of the world, not blessed of God. They will prevail by the grace of God and in spite of her bad counsel. Here's my plan. Let's get this over and done with. Let's get you married tonight. And here's what I want you to do. I'm going to make your, and no tap dancing allowed here. I'm going to read it the way it is. I want you tonight to make yourself, want to, girl, I want you to maximize your cute ability. All right? <laughs> I want you to get your makeup on. I want you to take a bath. I want you smelling good, so much good. I want you to break out the anointing perfume and make yourself smelling so, and beautiful clothes. And I want you pretty, smelling good, clean, ready to go for a night. And then I want you to sneak in while he's sleeping into his bedroom, as it were. When nobody's around, the word quietly will mean secretly. And I want you to uncover him, and get out of the covers with him. And if you want to tap dance around that, get busy. Because you're going to need some really good tap shoes and some tap lessons. You know what she's saying? She's saying, listen, and I know why she's doing it. In Jewish culture, the rabbi did not say back in those days, I now pronounce you husband and wife. You're not married until you consummate the marriage. So in her mind, she's thinking, let's consummate that marriage tonight and we'll work backwards because once you're married, it's really hard to undo it. So let's get what needs to happen to happen. And come on, if you, what's, of course, the perfume and the covers and the lay down there, this whole thing is just shady. It's terrible. This is not what you do. Now, listen, I could go on and on and Okay, I will about this. <laughs> this, is not, this is what a Moabite would do. Just go sleep with him tonight. But make sure he's been drinking. Then lay down, smelling like a rose. Uncover him. Another one up in there. And, and don't worry, daughter. He'll know what to do. He'll know what to do. Oh, surprise, Naomi. It's not going to work that way. Because Ruth has more of a natural moral inclination than you from Bethlehem. And that's what happens sometimes. These newbies come in to the faith they get like, whoa, their eyes get open. They start reading the Bible and they're like, oh, wow, look at what God showed me. And they're all excited and they have a, a love for God that surpasses everybody. Everybody's like, calm down, dude, calm down. Oh, yes, praise the Lord. <laughs> you know, and that's kind of what I see happening here. Let me just tell you, you know, go take a walk in the streets all perfumed up at night in the time of the judges. Go out in the night, go out there. Just slip around, slip around out there. Listen, no girls allowed on the threshing floor except the prostitutes. 
That's where the prostitutes did their thing. That's where they found the guys. They found the beer and the wine with the guys who are working and sleeping and bedding down there. And that's where they did their work. Hosea chapter 9 and verse 1. No girls were allowed there. And she knows this. She says, no, I want you to slip in. Nobody will know. Smelling good. And oh God, you know. And then you're married. Done. Problem solved. Thank you, Naomi. Right? Okay. Well, listen. <laughs> it was dangerous. Naomi herself says once in chapter two, watch out, guys can assault you. And it means assault in the way your mind just went. And Boaz twice says, stick close to these fields lest you be abused or assaulted. And yet she's like, go in, go in and do this thing. Lie down, he'll take it from there. And thankfully, he's a godly man. And like I said, she has a moral inclination. She will not follow the script completely. And it's a lovely surprise there. And by the way, let me prove to you that this is Moabite thinking. I want you to think of Genesis chapter terrible 19. <laughs> and in chapter 19, you're going to find some parallels. You're going to find, listen to me, two ladies who have a concern to sustain the family line. So they have a problem. And now in this story, hmm, we got two ladies who have a problem. They need to extend the family line. Now, how do the ladies do it in Genesis 19? Well, they need a man because in Sodom, all the other men have been wiped off the face of the earth except their family. And so they're in a cave. They want to, what are we going to do? And they say, to preserve our family line, we need a man. There's only one. He happens to be our father, but so what? So we're going to, listen, feed him and let him drink. You see the parallel? And then we're going to uncover him and lie there. And guess what happens? The daughter conceives, and what do they call him? And she named him Moab. Yeah. And this is how the Moabites came to be. And so there's a point back by her Hoping, sadly, one commentator said, several said this, that, that Naomi is hoping that there's enough Moabitess left in her to ring true the story of this is how we do it. That after all, Ruth, you wouldn't even exist if someone didn't extend the family line through this very means. So... There you have it. It's a Moabite way of thinking, and that's what happens. And so, oh, believing mom and dad, <laughs> Naomi's not the first one to, even though she says she's a believer, and I believe she is, not to, uh, not to, not to be able to protect her daughter from a setup of sexual immorality and temptation. Because believing parents do it all the time. Because Moab is here and Moab's thinking, Moab's on the TV and Moab's in the commercials and Moab constantly, sexual immorality has become hip and cool and fashionable and everybody does it. And so believing moms and dads, like Naomi, just say, well, go ahead and have the honeymoon first and then get pregnant and then propose and then have the marriage. Believing moms and dads, come on. You have minor kids alone in the bedroom with the boyfriend? Come on. That's a Naomi thing. You're allowing right under your nose your minor children that God has given you, you're saying, but it's everywhere and everybody and I can't. And, and so you're going to have a trip to Disneyland and let them stay together in the room? And young person, you know, you know, well, we got to know how that works together before we get married. That's a Moabite thing. That's what Moabites do. Don't you think that if you trust God, he's factored in 
every layer of intimacy and every possible way that you're compatible or not compatible. Trust God. Listen to me. God is not trying to spoil your fun. He says, don't you know you're the temple of the Holy Spirit? You can't be joining yourself around like that. You're, you're, you are, that, that's why the Jews said once you had sexual relations, you were married. And that act was to cement a, two people together as one for life. That is why it's so horribly heartbreaking and heart-wrenching and devastating when the reverse order happens, the, the Naomi advice, go and we'll work backwards. Just, you know, seduce him. And then we'll get what we want and then we'll work our way from there. Now, listen, mom and dad, listen, young person. Listen to me, every guy in this room. Naomi misplaced her compass in Moab. How about you? You still got a moral compass? You're going to look really weird and uptight and take a lot of persecution for it. I know I young, I, I'm digressing, but maybe God has a reason for it. Hopefully. <laughs> I know a couple who waited until their kiss at the wedding to kiss and everything else. And they were both virgins. And she told me, I suffered terrible persecution when people find out about that. It's Moab. Are you a Moabitess? Are you a Moabite or are you a Christian? I'm just asking. So, so the plan goes on and she doesn't follow script. So she goes down to the threshing floor, <laughs> all dolled up did everything her mother-in-law told her to do up to a certain point. Verse 7, when Boaz had finished eating and drinking, by the way, he doesn't get drunk. Boaz is a man of valor. It was a disgrace for a Jewish man to ever be drunk. And so he's able, he's self-controlled, he's able to, to drink responsibly. I mean, he knows. He's, you'll, you will never find him drunk. So he's, he's had his beer, whatever. And he's in good spirits. He's not inebriated. He went over and lied down at the end of the grain pile. Ruth approaches secretly, uncovers his feet, and lays down. Now, interestingly, she lays somewhere different than her mother suggested. In the middle of the night, something startles the man, and he turns to discover a woman lying at his feet. Who are you? He says, yeah. I would have had a heart attack right there. <laughs> Who are you? I'm your servant, Ruth, she said. Spread the corner of your garment, and really it means wing, and she's quoting what they would say at weddings. Spread the corner of your garment over me since you are legally kinsman redeemer. The Lord bless you, my daughter, he replies. This kindness is greater than that which you showed earlier, you have not run after the younger guys, whether rich or poor. And now, my daughter, don't be afraid. I will do for you all that you ask. All my fellow townsmen know that you are a woman of noble character, quoting a line from Proverbs 31. Although it's true that I am near of kin. Yes, I'm on the list. There's this dude, a kinsman redeemer, nearer than I. Bum, bum, bum. <laughs> Stay here for the night and in the morning. If he wants to redeem, good, let him redeem. But if he is not willing, as surely as the Lord lives, darling, I'll do it. Lie here until morning. Okay, let's talk about this. I promised you peace, right? So purity prevails in spite. Yes. So here we go. The proposal, right? Because Ruth is going to propose to Boaz. And it's a lot better than what Naomi had in mind. So um, the night comes. There's been productive work threshing, you know. They take the wheat, the stalks, and beat it down or have cattle ride over it, run over it with carts and, and, and separate the husk from the kernel, the grain, and then they'd thresh it, throw it up in the air in the wind that was 
always blowing through those parts would separate the chaff from the grain and they would store up in nice little piles, but they had to sleep there during those festive parties because back in the time of judges, thugs, gangs would come in and say, wow, thanks for growing it. Thanks for harvesting it. And thank you for threshing and doing all the hard work. And guess what? We're going to take it all now. And so not going to happen in Boaz's field. So Boaz and his guys, they're camped out, right? And so that's what's happening here. He, he's eaten. He had his glass of wine. He's fallen asleep. And somewhere around midnight, well, before that, she enters secretly, uh, untucks his toes, right? And, and, but listen, she departs from the script. She said, un, untuck him and, and lay down. Because uncover him, lay down. She uncovers him and she can't bring herself to do it. So she lays at his feet. She's obeying Naomi, but just not really in the sense of laying down next to him. So she lays down on the silent prayer. I imagine, dear God, save me. <laughs> I submitted to Naomi out of, you know, I came under her, God. Now I'm looking to you. Please help. You know, so midnight comes and something startles him. And I'll tell you what it was. It wasn't the fact that she uncovered him. The Holy Spirit startled him so that when he awakes, he's in a place of fear. He's in a place of danger, danger. He's not in a happy place, you see? So God, right from the start, wants to alert this man, hey, something's not quite right here, right? So he's already being set up to not fall for the perfume, for the makeup, for the dress, for the whole thing. And But she's prevented that by laying at his feet, which servants would do. Because goodness forbid, if a master woke up in the middle of the night and had to, to, to get a glass of water all by himself, right? So a servant would actually sleep at their feet and just say, when he stirred, you know, I want the window closed or I need some water or whatever it is, the servant would say. So she puts herself in the place of, I'm just here I am. I'm not here for any other reason or she would be in a different place. Next to him, she's at the foot, the feet, and she says, I'm your servant. She doesn't use the lowest, lowest rung of the word servant, which she did first chapter. Oh, we've graduated. We've graduated to more of an indentured servant, kind of a willing servant, a loved, beloved servant. You know, I, she's saying, listen. I like you, do you like me? Do you want to get married, <laughs> right? And here's how she does it. Instead of consummating the marriage, she says, and oh, how ingenious and creative. She says, spread your wing over me, right? And she says, for, you know, you're my kinsman redeemer. Now, look, look what she's doing here. Spread the corner of your garment over me since you're my kinsman. Now, what, what fast thinking, Right, because garment, it also means wing, right? So she's like, I uncovered him, but you know what? And here's what Israel used to say at weddings. When did God ever tell a woman in, in the Bible to slip into someone's bedroom and lay down and uncover them and make sure he's had something to drink? Yeah, that's not a cultural thing. That's called a tap dance, all right? In this case, she's saying, I'm your servant, here I am, take me under, and here's what she's doing. He quoted that to her when they first met. She's being romantic. She's saying, remember when you said, you gazed into my eyes, and you said, oh, daughter, may the God of Israel, whom you have come seeking refuge, may he put his wing over you. And now she's saying, would you answer the prayer that you prayed for me? Would you be the answer to the prayer you prayed to God for me? Let God use you to answer your own prayer with the words that you said. And people, Jewish couples, get married under a cloak to this day because of this verse in the Bible. Let me show you a Kupa. 
This is from this verse. And the reason they go under that is say, A, the Lord is said to spread his wing or cloak over the nation of Israel. And there's a, there's a it's Ezekiel, I think it's 16, uh, where, where they get that from. But they take it a step further to say this belongs to the husband. And you're coming under the husband's garment or wing now as being joined to him for provision, for protection, to be filled with his love and his uh, wonderful protection. So thank you. You can go back to the verse. And so that's just beautiful. So um, that's what she's saying. She's saying, I'm a widow. I'm in need. I know you're able. I don't know if you're willing. But if you did ask me, I would certainly say yes. And look at him. Look at him. First of all, when you are in a situation as a man and sexual temptation comes your way, you do a couple things that he does. And you know he's in bed. He's rubbing the sleep out of his eyes. She, she smells wonderful. She looks beautiful. And he already has the feelings for her. But what does he do? He brings God first words up. Here we go. The Lord is in this. The Lord bless you. Bring up God. That's what you do. I remember a guy at Bible college said, there's this girl was badgering him to take her out on a date. And he said, I'm just really not interested, but you know, I'm going to take her out. And then afterwards, he came back to the dorm and he told us the story, sorry. And uh, he said, uh, she was driving, she drove, and she went to the, the, the loop where it's dark, and she parked the car and shut off the engine. And then I, he, he said, wow. I was like, what are we doing here? And she goes, just parking and spending time. <laughs> and he was like, oh. And he said to everybody, and everybody died laughing. He said, I kept bringing the Lord up. He said, I looked out and I looked at the sky and I saw the moon. And I said, isn't it amazing, he says, isn't it amazing that God made the moon and he made our lives? And how does he do that? The Lord, the Lord, the Lord, right? Well, here's what he says. He brings up the Lord. He remembers, I'm in a covenant. The Lord is in this. The Lord bless you. My daughter, oh man. He's reminding himself, you're his daughter, you're somebody's little girl. I'm not going to exploit you right now. He's going to tell himself, my daughter, think of her in terms. They're going to end up married. Spoiler alert. Sorry, I said it after. You know what? But he has that godly thing about women and not treating them as objects. But to be able to stay to someone you're attracted to and at a wedding proposal, my daughter daughter, God, God, my daughter, the facts are here. And if anybody had a reason to say, oh, I was half asleep and I had a couple beers and, you know, she smelled so good and that's really what, you know, it would have been okay in the morning, wink, wink, and all of that. He says, I'm not, I'm not going for that. The Lord, our Lord, bless you. Daughter, wow. That's awesome. Joseph in Potiphar's house. The Bible said he's a young man. He's probably 18. Says he's handsome and well-built. The Bible just says, hey, I'm just telling you, he's a hunk, all right? <laughs> and so Mrs. Potiphar, Joseph's master, Mrs. Potiphar says, hey, man, you are a good-looking guy. Why don't you come to bed with me? And over and over and over and over until one day she trapped him grabbed a hold of him and, and said, you're coming to bed with me now and grabbed his clothes and she, he couldn't get away from her and, and he does the same thing. He says, how could you ask me to do this terrible thing and sin against God? I could just hear her say, who, who mentioned God in this equation? But see, when you're godly and you love God and you're walking in the light and the truth, You've got feelings for God. God's a person. You don't want to hurt God. God has a way, right? And then he says, what about your husband? 
You're messy, thinking of other people. How is this going to affect him? Guys and gals, stop and think before you do something that God has forbidden. How will it affect your relationship with God? Speed the tape forward, fast forward, please, I beg you. Because if you fast forward to divorce court, to visiting your kids every other week, if you fast forward to the pain, you fast forward to the Press Democrat article that names you with a picture there, just fast forward. That's what these guys do. They fast forward. He says, the Lord bless you. And then he gives her some affirmation, allays her fears and says, man, this is better than all the other things. You know, you could have anybody you want, but you, you like me. That's wow. He's, you know, she circled yes and got the note back. <laughs> Verse 11, he allays her fears and assures her, look, I'm not offended. You didn't act in any untoward way or uh, inappropriate way. I'm going to make this happen, right? And he says, listen, just in case anybody uh, catches on here, everybody knows, and the reason I would marry you is that everybody knows that you're a Proverbs 31 kind of gal. You can't hide that. Everybody sees your kind speech, how you're not anything like a Moabitess. You're more godly than some of our own women. Everybody, you're the talk of a town for what a light and how, how wonderful you are. So you know what he says there? He says in, in Hebrew, he says, all the gate people know you are a woman of worth, a woman of noble character. The gate people are all the influential people in town. No, they, uh, you know, a wife of noble character who can find? I'll tell you what, <laughs> you want to be that wife that he finds, not a bunch of other guys' paw marks. And the same goes for the guy. She wants you, not everybody you've ever been with. And sadly, biologically and physiologically speaking, when you're together, you are together with everyone who that person has ever been with in one sense. Just stop and think. And you know what? I don't mind this little awkward time at all. You know why? Because I'm up against hours and hours and hours and hours and layers and layers and layers of media that I will never win. But I'm going to die trying. And I'm going to keep you here for another hour. <laughs> I'm telling you what, in 10 minutes, I promise you, 10 minutes after in Jesus' name, amen, you, the phones will be going off and you'll be texting and everything and all of this will be a distant memory, sadly, except for some. The Holy Spirit will have beaded one little thing and when one of you is gonna get in a tight place, you're gonna, the Holy Spirit's gonna light that up and you're gonna say no because I belong to God. Amen? Amen? All right, I'm, I'm all excited. <laughs> I wish I would have heard that 30, 40, okay, 50 years ago. <laughs> well, whatever it is, okay. Uh, so he says, uh, you know, here to the scary music. Technically, he says, little sugar muffin, listen. <laughs> he, says, he says, there is someone closer. Technically, on the books, you know, listen, and here's godly, godly man every time. He says, listen, and, and Naomi, this is the way it should have gone down publicly. What's wrong with getting all dressed up and dolled up and going to the gate and saying, okay, here, we got a fisher cut bait. Now, you know, he's legally, what was wrong with that? So he says, I'll talk tomorrow at the city gate. I'll work this out. Now, now, if he decides to say yes, he will marry you. Well, look at godliness. He says, that's fine. He's thinking in his heart, at least you'll have a husband. At least the line will continue. And at least you'll be cared for. That's what I care about. And God will, it will have been God's will. So he's good with that. Now, if an ungodly Moabite thinking, hey, there's a guy. You know what? He wants to interrupt this beautiful thing. 
right? And you know what? He legally can. But you know what? I've got more money than him. I'm going to offer him a little bribe, sweetheart. You know, no worries. See, that's the Moabite way. Or worse yet, he says, you know, if he, he thinks he's going to marry you, you know what? I've got a friend named Guido. All right. <laughs> Uh, where, where is Guido? <laughs> we have a Guido here among us. Uh, I assure you this Guido is a loving, godly man. But every other Guido I know, he carries a little b- baton. You know what I'm saying? He says, listen, if he says, yeah, I'll take her, I'll marry her, you know, I'll Guido make him disappear, right? You know, but no. Listen to me. Do God's, uh, go after what God has for you, rightfully so, God's way. And you will ruin everything by going after something that is good and right and acceptable and, and wonderful, but you go at it the wrong, ungodly way. You ruin everything. And she almost did for them. But he says, no, I'll go talk. It'll be okay. You know, stay here. Why stay here? It's dangerous out there. Lay down and don't be seen. Well, of course not. She's a Proverbs 31 woman, not a dolled up prostitute like Naomi kind of set her up for, slinking around the threshing floor at night. And then she, she's seen by somebody, the town gossip sees her leaving the threshing hall, right? And, and she says, you know, she's just fixing her scarf or whatever and she says nothing happened nothing happened Naomi's something you know you know nothing happened and the town gossip says of course it didn't (laughs) and then she goes to her friend guess who I saw leaving the threshing hall little Miss Moabitis sorry (laughs) (laughs) I'm not responsible for some of this am I (laughs) Little Miss Moabitess, little Miss Goody Two-Shoes, she's going to come here and show us, oh, how godly she is, right? Well, I've got news for you. She spent the night like an everyday, common-day hooker at the threshing. Well, no such thing. That's why, friends, the Bible says, the New Testament says, avoid the very appearance of evil, If it looks bad that your truck is out there, single man in a single woman, and you've got a bumper sticker that says Jesus loves you, and you're there till one in the morning, and then you love to say, nothing happened. It doesn't look like nothing happened. It doesn't feel like you're up there having a Bible study at one in the morning. And nobody, including me, believes that you were having a Bible study at one o'clock in the morning. That's why the Bible says, see to it that you avoid the very appearance of evil and let not even a hint of sexual immorality be named among you. Those are two scriptures for you. And so we move on. So we're done here as soon as we get through this. So she lay at his feet until morning, but got up before anyone could be recognized. And he said, don't let it be known that a woman came to the threshing floor guarding her reputation. He also said, bring me the shawl you're wearing, hold it out. When she did so, he poured into it six measures of barley and put it back on her. Then he said something cryptic, okay? Uh, when, uh, then he went back to town. Okay, when Ruth comes to home to her mother-in-law, Naomi says, of course, how did it go, my daughter? Then she tells her everything Boaz had done for her and added, and here's where commentaries just busted, busted this new thought out for me. He gave me these six measures of barley saying, don't go back to your mother-in-law empty-handed. Then Naomi said, wait, my daughter, until you find out what happens for this guy's not going to rest until this matter is settled uh, today. And so we're, we're, I promised you a P, right? The pause. And thankfully, it's not a pregnant pause. <laughs> it could have been. <laughs> Naomi's advice there, wow. 
All right, so listen, my first takeaway is when there's a dream on the horizon, folks, how many times have you noticed there's usually some sort of threat to that opportunity arises? So opportunity and opposition in God's world, uh, you see that hand in hand a lot. Now, let me just tell you, God uses pauses and snags to A, first of all, to weed out his people, weed out things in your heart. He likes to just push pause and say, watch, watch this. And then either you get somebody who says, okay, let's wait, trust God. Let's put it in God's hands and do it his way, keep soft and all of that. Or B, let's manipulate things. Get all dressed up, make it happen. Go down there. A little perfume, a little ah, sneak out of there. You know, he finds out who's who by turning up the heat or bringing a snag or uh-oh, and then suddenly you find out who's who. That's the only way. So remember that. He's doing that. Listen, God loves pauses because he's setting you up for something beautiful if you handle the pause correctly. Because what a pause will do will just heighten the intensity. You start praying, then he can glorify himself in such a more powerful way. Listen, Friday he dies. There's a pause. He loves pauses. And he says, oh, I bet you didn't see this coming, even though I told you a hundred times. You know, and then up from the grave, he arose. And and it's going to happen again. Let me quickly close up and wrap up by saying this. Now, he's a perfect gentleman. Now to the part that I never saw. Uh, No no chocolates for Naomi, no flowers, you know, but he says, hold out your shawl and scoop six measures of that in there. And very uh, carefully, he sends a message to Naomi. And she says, mom, he said, you know, don't go home to your mother-in-law empty-handed, and she got the message, say all the commentators. He's, He's saying, I'm on to you. I know who was behind it. I know you're insecure. I know you're trying to make it happen, right? But guess what? It's not gonna go down your way, but I am the one, and I am going to provide for you, even though you're insecure and uptight and uh, scheming to have it your way. I'm going to fill you who always come back. She's always saying, Oy vey, I'm empty. I went away full. Look at me now. I come back. I'm empty. My cupboards are empty. I'm always empty. I'm empty. So he's saying, look, chillax. I, 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 I'm on to you. I'm the dude. I'm going to take care of you. Look at this. And so she opens it up and says, surprise. This is what he's saying. You can trust. And it worked. Look at the last verse. So she says, okay, here's what we can do. The only one thing we can do, wait. Oh, finally, it took three chapters Yeah, she says, wait. And in that is implicit in that is a trusting, a letting go, a trusting. I don't know, worship team, how spontaneous you all are, but I would love to sing that song again, the um, let it go, through it all. Yeah. (laughs) Did you get that? <laughs> nice. All right. Are are you are you good with that? I mean, yeah. Yeah, come on up. Come on up and get ready. Because when I was singing that, I'm like, oh man, that just knowing what was in my heart and in this chapter, it's through it all to be able so just to let go, trust the Lord, sit tight and learn the easy way instead of doing it Naomi's way learn from Naomi and I'm going to say something nice about her right now okay she's a good woman we're going to see her in heaven she loves the Lord right she loves her daughter-in-law she has good intentions she's a bible hero crying out loud She has some things that we can learn from as well. 
So let's pray together. So Father God, um, we thank you for just a marvelous chapter, how to go about our lives, go after the things that you put in front of us, Lord, the right way, your way, and not to do it the world's way. It's so hard because we live here in the world, but we're, we're in the world, but not of it. So help us, God, to be more like you and less like Moab. In Christ's name, amen. Right. You go out there, you make a difference, and you live your life not letting the world squeeze you into its mold. Rather, you let your light shine before them that they will see good works and answers to prayer and godly character and give glory to God by coming to him. You impact them. Let them stop impacting us. Amen. Amen. Father, we're going to need your help for that. First of all, a desire to do it. A passion to serve you, to, to be your man, to be your woman. Live upside down in this crazy, backward world. Teach us, help us, protect us, we pray. We step out for you. In Christ's name, amen. You have been listening to The Rock Podcast. Our regular services are held on Wednesday nights at 6.30 and Sunday mornings at 8.30 and 10.30 a.m. in Santa Rosa, California. If you would like to learn more, please visit our website at cctherock.org. Sometimes it feels like I'm breathing.